Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 128, and we're going to be interviewing Evan T. How you doing, Evan? I'm doing pretty good. You excited to do this? Yes, I am. All right, glad to hear that. So let's get started, just like I start every other episode. Let's dive in and talk about your childhood. How was it growing up? Um, so for me growing up, I, I grew up in a single, a single parent home. Um, it was just me, my mom and my sister, um, pretty small on my mom's side of the family. It's just, it was my mom, my uncle, me, my sister for basically, um, our close knit family. And, uh, my mom was, uh, what, from what I know of alcoholism now, my mom was probably a very, a very much functioning alcoholic, um, I can remember there were times, there was a time I found her, um, I woke up one morning and I found her in the kitchen with a friend and she had her panties down and she was like, she was passed out drunk. And uh, so from a very early age, alcohol played was, was, was very prevalent. And uh, I can remember even the time when I was 14 where, um, I was curious about, I, I was curious about, like, I wondered what a, what a strawberry daiquiri was. And she was like, oh, she's like, do you want me to get you some? And I wanted to say yes, but then at the same time, I was raised in the South and, you know, I was taught to respect my elders. So I was like, nah, I don't think I will. I'm not in front of my mom. That's kind of creepy. Um, so, I mean, that kept me sober up until I was, uh, up until I was 18. Um, my mom did pass away when I was 15, and uh, that was a turbulent time. Um, I stayed stuck at that time period. I moved in with my uncle, but I was very much stuck at the point of my mom dying. Um, if, you I, if you don't mind me asking, how did your mother pass away? Um, she passed away from, she basically went into like cardiac arrest, so basically had a massive, uh, massive heart attack. Um, and she had already, nine years prior to that, she had already had um, a heart attack and had a quadruple bypass done um, when she had open heart surgery. And um, she, was, she was in and out of the hospital a lot growing up. Um, so uh, there was times where being, especially when my, me and my sister, I started to get older, um, that, you know, we'd be at home alone and we'd have the next door neighbor to call if we needed anything. and um, it was hard seeing my mom in, you know, in the hospitals, you know, sick. And, you know, um, I was telling my godmom this the other day, I think my mom knew that I knew a lot more than what she was letting on. I knew that she was sicker than what she was letting on. My sister, I don't think, knew. She just knew that my mom was sick. And, like, why is she always in the hospital, you know? Um, my my sister didn't quite understand just how sick my mom was. Literally, she was, she was living basically, basically by... Basically, by the grace of God, you know, God gave her another nine years. And, uh, you know, when she passed, I moved in with my uncle and I stayed stuck at her death. And so, you know, living there through working the steps, I've come to realize that I stayed stuck at my mom's death. I didn't grieve. I couldn't accept the fact that I was in a new environment. So I didn't put forth any effort to try to live by his rules, to try to assimilated to his family I just stayed closed off to myself and kind of alienated myself 
And I was wondering why they never included me in anything, but I didn't try to put forth the effort to make myself included. Um, and, you know, I've come to realize through working my fourth and fifth step that, you know, even though my uncle was wrong for a lot of the verbally abusive things he said to me, you know, if I had, I put forth some type of effort and tried to live by his rules and tried to assimilate into his house, his household and the way he wanted things ran, you know, maybe, maybe not, maybe none of those things would have happened. So I have a part to play in it. So, you know, and for a long time, I played the victim role. And I was like, you know, he did all this stuff to me and he he abused me and this, that, and the other. And, uh, you know, I think that, that that added to the resentment against him. That was one of the biggest resentments that I held for a long time. It's like, you know, he, 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 he made a bad situation worse. He ruined everything. And it's just, it, it was... It, it was crazy just how sick my thinking was. And uh, um, so um, around, I came up for one summer to Fort Wayne, Indiana um, to visit my dad. And I already had a plan in my head that I wasn't coming back to Harvest, Alabama, which is right outside of Huntsville. Um, and I talked to my dad about it and he was pretty open to me coming to live with him. And my family said, no, you need to stay here with your sister. And he just couldn't convince me otherwise because if you're, if you're an alcoholic or an addict like me, you think you know everything. And uh, nobody could tell me anything. So I, you know, I, I struck out on my own and my, I, and my, my dad's schizophrenic and he had a schizophrenic episode and locked me out of the house. And then I ended up going to stay with my great aunt, ended up getting a place of my own because I was getting a social security check because of my mom dying. And, um, like maybe I say maybe four or five months after I moved into my own place was when I had my first drink. And from that first drink, it was like, aha, uh -huh, I found the answer. Like the, that, like it was like the answer to all my problems all in a bottle. And uh, from the very start, I was very much a blackout drinker, very much verbally abusive toward others when I drank. Um would would try to get physical with you if you if you if you really tried to egg me on or challenge me on anything and then wake up the next morning and be like oh I didn't mean any of that or oh what did I do what did I do what did I do you know and uh so um that let you know when my social security check stopped I end up going to uh I, I end up going to uh applying for public housing and I got on housing and I thought that that was going to be uh I thought that was going to be fixed I was like okay I'm getting out of this horrible environment around all these people that are drinking okay that's going to be the fix so you can already see me trying to like basically fix the problem by trying to distance myself or trying to solve it by by changing location but I wasn't changing anything internally I was just changing the external um so um, I went, I, I went, I, I moved, I moved on to Fort Wayne, or, or I moved into Fort Wayne housing, public housing on the north side of town. And I thought, oh, okay, it's all going to be all better. And I remember I hadn't been there three days. The guy's like, oh, man, hey, man, you want to come up to my apartment for a minute? You look lonely, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, sure, you know, I'll, I'll hang out with the neighbor. Not two minutes after I get in there, he's like, you want a beer? And I'm like, yeah sure and I take the beer and he asked me how old I was I was, like, I was like oh I'm 19 he's like oh don't tell anybody and instantly it's like from 
the time I moved in, I was like, I thought the problem was fixed. Alcohol, always, it always seemed to catch up to me and find me. So moving forward from there, um, my drinking started getting progressively worse. I was in school. I started basically, I started, I started to basically fail, fail certain classes that I wasn't interested in. I started to self-medicate. Oh man, I need to really be able to focus. So I need to drink and uh, just using alcohol in all kinds of ways that I shouldn't have. And uh, moving forward, um, I stayed there for about three years and then I was like, oh, and I was like, I, I started working because I thought, oh, I just need to work so I can make more money. But in hindsight, I was basically using that as a justification. I need to work to make more money so I can support my habit and take care of my bills. And uh, so I, I started working and um, I was doing all right in school for a while. And then drinking starts catching up to me. So like all my time goes if I'm not at work, all my time starts to go into drinking. And uh, I, my, I, I move out of public housing thinking, oh, okay, well, maybe I just need to move by myself and just get completely away from all that alcohol, get completely away from all these people that, are drink, that I'm drinking with, and that'll fix the problem. So I move into my own, I move into a place right around the corner from where I live in. I stay there for about four years or whatever. And uh, so, and for, and I basically, I stay there and I'm like, okay, maybe I can, maybe I can stay sober. Maybe I can stay sober. And I, I don't think maybe I may, I may have made it a week. I don't even think I made it a week. And I would find myself right back at the liquor store drinking. And my, my drinking starts to get progressively worse. I changed jobs during that time because I'm thinking everybody's out to get me. The world's, the world's just against me. And um, I start this new job and alcohol again catches up with me. A couple of my coworkers drink. And I don't know, I, I, don't, I don't diagnose other people as being alcoholic, but they, they may just be heavy drinkers. But instantly, um, I started hanging out with them and drinking, and there was a couple times where I'd show up late to work or I'd show up to work still drunk. Um, I remember there was a time I got pulled over one time, and I knew I, I was like, "Oh my god, I got pulled over!" And I was like, "Well, you're the server back there, or whatever." There's a couple people that called and said you're driving erratically. Um, are you okay and everything? I'm like, "Yeah, I'm okay. I'm just running late for work." And and I'm thinking, "Oh man, they're gonna breathalyze. They breathalyze me." I because I knew I was still fucked up. And uh, I make it to work and I don't get on a center rider or anything, but um, I'm working the whole night. And, um, if, any, if any of you are alcoholics or addicts like me, the alcohol starts to wear off and I start to get real shaken. All I can think about, oh, I just can't wait to get off so I can get a drink, so I can get a drink, so I can get a drink. So I get off work, I get it. Uh, I get off work and I'll, oh, one thing I forgot to mention during this time period is while I was at, before I changed jobs, I ended up going to treatment for the first time. And uh, I went to treatment and. Uh, what age were you when you first went to treatment? When, um, I was. Oh, maybe 22, 23. It was, no, it was about 23. 
It's probably about 23. And you recognize that you had a problem. Yeah. Still very, I still very much thinking that if I stop, that all it is, I just need to, I just need to muster up enough will so that I can just stop drinking. Now I'm realizing that there's a whole, from what I know of alcoholism now from the program, there's a, I mean, there it's a, it's a phenomenon of craving. There's an allergy of the body. All of that's involved. I think, okay, I go, I go to, I go to this, um, like detox treatment facility for a couple of days. And I start, I start getting cleaned out. The alcohol starts getting cleaned out of my system because I went there and I think I was, I think I was like three times legal limit and I start coming down. I start getting shaky and I can't sleep. I can't concentrate. All I can think about, oh my God, I need to get out of here so I can get a drink. And so I, I get out, I, I get out of there or I talk my way out of there. And my friend's like, uh, he's like, so are you, he's like, um, are you going to stop drinking? I'm like, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm, I'm going to stop drinking. And uh, I don't think that time I got signed up for IOP. I just said, okay, so my, I went to my first, I think I went to my first AA meeting and I think I, I like half got a sponsor. And the first time that he didn't, he was, he wasn't hard to, he was hard to reach. I couldn't get a hold of him. I started, he gave me an assignment. I started doing it. And I was like, oh, this, this doesn't work. Okay, I'm just going to go back to doing what I'm doing. So um, maybe a year or two passes by. I'm still I'm still living by myself and on my own. And I end up I end up back at PBH again. Um, this time I called on myself because I was just I was at a point where I was starting to feel like I, I was get very down and depressed, and there was moments where I would wish that I was dead, but I was too chicken to do it myself to just put the gun in my head and kill myself. But I was doing exactly that by how I was thinking. And so um, I go to treatment. I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to really do this thing. And I keep thinking, oh my God, I can't drink for the rest of my life. Oh my God. Like, oh, life is going to be so boring, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, oh, I can do this while, I, while, I'm, while I'm broke. As soon as I get paid, it's, I don't think this is going to work. And, and I was right. As soon as I got paid, I went right back to the liquor store. It was like, like a, I, I didn't, I, I had no will to, to resist it. And uh, got drunk. I ended up showing to IOP drunk. And um, from there, uh, the, the lady that was leading the IOP, we get out of the IOP and she sits down on me and she's like, okay. She's like, I'll excuse it this, this first time, but if you ever show up to IOP again, drunk, I'll have to dismiss you from class. And um, I'm very much on my own. And this is after I caught my first DUI, um, which was a misdemeanor. Um, still, and she's like, okay, I want you to go home. I want you to pour out all your alcohol and um, I want you to call me every day and let me know how you're doing. So I go home, reluctantly I pour out all my alcohol, watching it go down the drain. It's like, what a waste. And uh, I start calling her every day and I go to a couple more IOP sessions. Still not, I don't go back to AA. I just try to just try to will will my way through it. I think I make it a week, two weeks, 
and I get drunk again, and then I'm insane because I'm like, how do I let this happen? So I stopped going to IOP. I stopped. I just stopped doing everything, and I just basically at that point I just I just gave up trying to get sober. I was like, okay, I'm an alcoholic. I'm doing being an alcoholic. I'll just continue to drink and manage as best as I can. And um, I during this time I started setting up rules like, okay, I'm only so I don't get another DUI. The gas station right here, the liquor store's right here. So if I'm drunk, these are the only two places I'm going to go. I'm not going to drink and drive and go anywhere else because if I drink and drive and go anywhere else, then I'm not, then I'll probably get a DUI and it's going to be a felony, blah, 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 blah. Well, this works for so long. It only works, those rules only work for so long. And uh, the day comes, I come home from work one day and, uh, I come home from work one day and I got a fifth. I sit there. I drink it maybe. I drink it all in maybe an hour or so. Or most, I drink all but like maybe a tiny, tiny little bit out of it. Maybe an hour or so. And so I start to get low. I'm like, oh man, I, I got to get more. So I'm trying, trying to figure out ways. And then I remember, oh, my friend, he owes me 20 bucks. So I call him up. He's like, oh, well, if you come and get it, you can, I'll give it to you. So I get in my car breaking all my rules. I knew I shouldn't get in the car, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to go get, I, I need to get this $20 so I can, so I can go to the liquor store and get me some more to drink. And uh, I black out on the way there. For, and I, and all this I'm saying now, I know this now because I read the police reports because this is when I get my second, my second felony DUI. I hit like, I think I hit like three cars. I, I get to my um, friend's house. I hit his car, well, not his car, his friend's car. And uh, the guy's like, oh, well, you just apologize. I won't call the police. I'm like, well, please don't call the police. I don't, please don't call the police. There's no, like, rationalization. I'm so drunk, you can't really reason with me. And so please get called. They come out. And I'm trying to I'm trying to get away and this, that, and the other. But they're already there, so it's no point in getting away. And uh, I'm telling the officers, please don't take me to jail. Please don't take me to jail. Or, um, they breathalyzed me. I th- I'm more than, I think I was either right at or more than three times legal limit. And uh, they take me to jail and I'm fighting the whole way. I get into an altercation with them at the, when they start, when they get me down to the jail. So now they got to take me to St. Joe, this, that, the other. And so fast forward to sentencing, I get sentenced in Allen County in Indiana once you get a felony, you know, normally one of those things happen. You either get placed in the uh, like restoration court or veterans court, or you get placed on probation with a program called AADP, where they give you enemies for however long your probation period is. And so they sentenced me to uh, two and a half years. I got to do six months on the anklet, two years on the AADP. And I get sentenced to the anklet. I'm like, okay, good. I'm on an anklet. I won't be able to go get alcohol. Maybe this will keep me sober. Still not getting in my head. I, I don't know anything about AA or how this is disease. I just think that, okay, I need the accountability and this will keep me sober. Well, the frightful day comes where I think I was like three months dry. I wasn't sober because I wasn't working a program. And um, I and the whole week goes by. I'm just plotting out, waiting for the weekend. So 
because I know I had something to do and I was going to use, I got two gas stops and I was like, I'm going to use one of my gas stops to stop by this gas station. I'm formulating the whole plan of how to get alcohol on house arrest. And uh, so I, I come up with this plan. I, it, I end up getting the fifth of the wine. I get home. It doesn't even last. Maybe It lasts maybe an hour, if that. So I get done with that, and I'm like, oh, I'm, and then the, when you're on house arrest, you have to call a urine drug screen line every single day. So like the next day, I didn't call the next day because I was scared. And I called Monday. I didn't have to test. And I don't get tested against like that Thursday. So by that time, alcohol's out of my system. And I'm, or I think the alcohol's out of my system. I'm drinking water like crazy. I, I, I went down to the urine screen. I never hear anything. So I'm like, okay, cool. I'm never doing that again. So I make it another few months with the whole intent and the whole intention in my mind. I want to point out uh, if I can make it through this, this house arrest, then when I get on ADP, I'll be on probation. I can manage, I can control the drinking and I'll make it through the probation, but I have no intention on staying, completely staying sober, just trying to make it through the house. So I get off the anklet and um, I start, I, I, maybe I may, may last week and I'm back in front of the liquor school again. Start back drinking, I get I'm on daily reporting. I get caught. They make me sign a probation modification, make me go to park center counseling. A couple months go by. I'm not really paying on my fees, not doing this, not doing that. Um, so they file probation revocation. Well, they give me another chance. They say, well, we're going to um, give you 90 days, see how you pay in the fees. Don't miss any more park center appointments. Well, during this time, I'm still drinking. But at this time, I'm trying to control it. And I'm like, well, maybe it's the liquor that's the problem. Maybe if I just drink beer, beer's going to be my problem. It's the liquor. So if I just drink beer, I'll be able to manage. Well, that only that works for so long. So then I get I get to the point where something happens. And I'm like, oh, I get to the point where I was like, fuck, uh, I don't know what to fucking do. So I just, I go back, I get... I get a fifth, drink that. And the only the only thing that the interviews does is just basically make me like, as opposed to drinking like a fifth in a night, I'm drinking maybe like a pint in a night and feeling the same effect before the interview starts to kick in and I can't really drink anymore because it's just making me too like lethargic. And so uh, I drink that all weekend and I'm a whole time I'm saying, I'll drink a little bit and then I'll pass out. I'll wake up. I'll drink more. And the whole time I'm saying, okay, Saturday night, I'm stopping. And for this, sometimes, for some reason, this time I just couldn't stop. I just, once I got started, I could not stop. And I didn't stop until it was gone. So I get done around, I'm like 9 a.m. Sunday morning. I'm like, okay, if I just drink a bunch of water, hopefully by tomorrow evening, by Monday evening, when I get down there, my sister will be clean. So I go down Monday. Monday, of course, I got. I, I end up having for a random piss test. So I take the piss test, and at this point, I'm already in the probation revocation proceedings. So I'm not, the whole week, I'm like, oh my god, I hope this piss test doesn't come back dirty. So I get a call the following week. My probation officer's like, hey, I need you to come down. I need to speak with you regarding some things. Blah blah blah. And so now I'm like, oh, okay, that's this is not good. So I go down and I'm completely honest with her. For the first time in my life, I started to get honest. 
And um, she says, uh, and well, why did you drink? And I was honest. I said, well, I was going through some things. My anxiety got out of whack. And I just, I just drank. She's like, well, do you have a plan to prevent this in the future? And I can't really tell her what's up. So I go to court two days later. I'm not expecting to really go to jail. I don't know why it wasn't, but they locked me up. And for the first time in my life, I I didn't try to play the victim role when I got locked up. I knew exactly why I was locked up. I knew if I wouldn't have been testing with the beer, I wouldn't have went to the liquor. So I finally make the admission that, okay, I got a problem and that I can't drink. I cannot drink like normal people. Like there's, there's no, there's, there's no questions about it. And um, I, I basically, I said, I, my family's praying, I'm praying. And I was like, God, just, just, just give me, just give me one more chance. And um, I get, I, I get out of jail or I think I did get out of jail, but they send Park Center over to assess me and they want to send me directly to Choices, which is a halfway house treatment facility. And I say, I tell them, I told them, no, I want to go to treatment. I need, I need to go to treatment just because of how bad I know I was. I, I need that, I need that, that enclosed space and I need, I need all of that. So I, I, go, I go to treatment and I've been sober ever since. And my sobriety date is the 11th of 2019. That's great. So what was it like when you got sober? Um, well, I guess I, I, I got clean in, in jail. So I don't know. I really, when I was in jail, I really, I knew I couldn't really get to it. So I didn't really have any like cravings or anything for it. I didn't really start developing cravings until like afterwards, after I got out of after I got out of jail and I was already in choices, that's when the obsession started kicking. Cause I, and I was on the anklet because they, they sent, they re-sentenced me to restoration court. So I was on the anklet for six more months and I started getting the, 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 the obsession starts to come back. And it's not, that's all I can think about. And it was right about that, that 90 day mark for me. And um, by the grace of God, I, I thank this man. Um, I was down at ACCC, and he's he's an AA. Um, I won't reveal names just to protect his anonymity, but um, he was the drug screen guy, and he was talking to me while I took my piss test, and he asked me how I was doing, and I was open and honest. And he says, well, you know, just go home and pray for that obsession to be removed. So I go, I, I went back to the happy house, and for like a month straight, I'm like, the whole time all this stuff is going through my head, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm praying. And it's like, it's not really getting any better, but I'm still, I'm holding out some type of hope. And one day it was just like, I realized I wasn't really thinking about it. I wasn't really worried about it. And I didn't really want it anymore. And uh, during this time, I had several sponsors during this time too. I didn't really get my first solid sponsor until about, a, I was already a year clean. But I did learn some things from various people, from from both those sponsors during that time period, one of which I started to develop my own concept of God because um, I was very much raised in the church and uh, raised on the belief that God doesn't love me for because of who I am, and which has to do more so with my sexuality. And today, 
I, I, I don't, I came to the realization that God created me exactly the way that I am and that God loves me exactly the way that I am. And that concept of God seems to work for me. It's a much more, he's a much more gentle God. Um, yes, he's just, but he's also, he also shows grace and mercy because he knows each one of us internally and he's inside of each and every one of us. He's able to be both around us and inside of us all at the same time. So, yeah. Going back just a little bit, how long were you in jail? Um, I was in jail for 45 days. For not that long then. Yeah. What did it feel like for those 45 days? Was it a, a rough go at it? Yeah, uh, it was. Um, I'm I'm very much a person. I don't like my freedom taken away. Um, I didn't adjust very well. Um, time went by very, really, really slow. Um, and I very much like to be, and feel like I'm in somewhat of control. So for me to give up all control to somebody else, that's hard for me. And uh, I think that was the hardest part was. Looking at it now, it's giving up, giving up my all my freedom, all my control over all, any, all my over my total environment. Besides just what goes on inside of my myself, over to basically the, the jail system. That was probably the hardest part for me. So what's life like nowadays for you? What do you do to keep yourself sober? Um, so uh, in the mornings, I normally get up. I always start, I start my day with prayer every morning. Um, if I feel led to, I'll read the daily reflections. I'll read the 24-hour day reading. Um, I'm on vacation right now back home in Birmingham. So lately what I've been falling into is uh, after I do all that, I'll reach out to a couple of alcoholics just to connect for a little bit. And then I'll get up and uh, I'll, I'll get my day going. That's normally how I start my day every day. And I just have that long, that alone time and quiet time with God to kind of just talk to God and meditate. So is there anything specific you do throughout the day that keeps you sober? Um, yes, uh, you know, um, when I recognize a thought or something that's not, it's not something that I possibly could have had, I, I say thank you. Um, I, I'll always give God thanks. Um, I know if, if I'm not perfect at it, but I try to stop and ask for direction or reach out to somebody if I'm feeling a certain type of way. Um, so I always try to seek out that guidance and direction and figure out what's the next right thing if I'm, if I'm, if I'm unsure of it. Gotcha. So my last question to you is, do you have any advice for people watching and listening? Uh I would definitely say coming with an honest mind 
basically the, the essentials to recovery, honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Because um, that's exactly what it takes. Um, say, that, say that one more time. You broke up a little bit. Honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness. Gotcha. Because that's basically what it takes. Um, one of my one of my character defects is I, I don't like to take constructive criticism from anybody or accept advice from anybody because I seem to think I know it all. Um, which, if you think about it, is me playing God. So for me, what I found to be crucial in recovery is just always maintain the is always maintaining that open mindedness, which is basically the antidote to that character defect or how I turn that character defect to an asset. And that's that, that's turned out to be crucial for me. Crucial, crucial, crucial. It's take just, them one, take those one at a time. So you said the first one's honesty. Yes. What's what do you do specifically to stay honest? Is there anything like you check yourself throughout the day or what do you do? Um I try, I try to when I when I'm when I'm making plans or I am especially big life plans, I try to check my motivations. Um, make sure that I'm not that I'm not coming from a place of just purely selfishness, self-centeredness, or I'm, that I'm coming from a place of fear or resentment. Um, yeah, that's about it. So you said the next one was willingness? Open-mindedness. Open-mindedness. So what do you do to stay open-minded? keep an open mind I should say um when I'm listening even if I don't think it's something that's pertinent to me I try to keep it at the back of my head just in case it turns out that it's something that is useful um and if, and, and if it is then I take the I take the action necessary to make it happen because this is very it's the program the program of Alcoholics Anonymous um is very much it's very much a program of action. So I can't be, say I'm open-minded and keep something at the back of my head and then say, well, I'm just not going to do that because I don't want to do it. So even if I don't want to do it, I, don't, I think it might be a waste of my time. I, I do it anyway. And what was the last one? Um, willingness. So willingness to do what? Um, willingness when, when things are hard or I'm going through a tough decision to pick up that phone and call another alcoholic or call another addict, um, willingness to call my sponsor when I think I have some grandiose plan, sometimes that's proven to be a crucial check on me. Um, willingness sometimes to go to a meeting, even when I don't want to, um, Willingness to, to to utilize those steps on a daily basis to to keep myself in check, especially that tenth step. That tenth step was a cruel. That fourth and the tenth step was a crucial check to keep yourself accountable. Because to me, it's crucial to keep yourself accountable. The utmost accountability is keeping yourself accountable to God, but it's also keeping yourself accountable to you. So if you don't keep yourself, if you don't keep yourself accountable, then, I mean, the accountability that you're getting from everybody else is not going to really mean much. So. That's great. It sounds like AA is really working for you. 
Yes, it is. So let me ask you something. What what did it take for you to recognize there was a higher power? Um, I think I've always known that there was a higher power and always believed in the concept of God. I just didn't have a personal relationship with it. Okay. And I lost that somewhere along the way. Gotcha. Gotcha. So yeah, I think that's a I think that's a good place to wrap it up. How do you feel? Oh man, I feel great. I feel great. I feel I hope I help some people. No, yeah, definitely. That's a that's something that I hear from a lot of people, and it does. People do reach out to me and say that you know they relate to stories and things like that. They think it's a cool concept what we're doing here. So I should thank you for coming on the podcast. Oh, no problem. Anything to help another alcoholic addict. That's great. I really appreciate your spirit and soul. All right. Thank you. All right. So hang tight for everybody watching and listening. If you like what you saw and heard, go below, give us a like. Also subscribe. You'll see when we upload new videos. You can also check us out at Facebook, Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, and TikTok. We also are part of a few others, but those are the main ones. And also check out our website, www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of resources along with a lot of approved literature that we have available for free. That's all I have for today. And until next time.